sitting uh, the two rak'ah after sitting in the masjid uh, from Fajr until sunrise. Uh, there are a couple of things. First of all, uh, you should be aware of the timing for praying after sunrise. The timing for praying after sunrise is 15 minutes after the time mentioned on the clock. So you should not pray at the time. I think the time on the clock today was 6.55. That means that the time for praying at sunrise is 7.10 onwards. This time extends until Salatul Jumu'ah. It extends until the Adhan of Dhuhr. So there is no harm in you praying your two rak'ah if you wish to pray them at the end of the class. And if you wish to pray them during the time of the class at 10 past 7, there is no harm in praying them either. For those of you who come from Fajr and they sit after Fajr in the masjid until sunrise, there is no harm in you praying. Uh, now when the class finishes, there is no harm in you praying uh, at 10 past 7 or quarter past 7 or whatever you want. With regard to Tahiyat al-Masjid, you should pray. Tahiyat al-Masjid is sunnah mu'akkadah. You should pray Tahiyat al-Masjid when you come into the masjid. So when any of you come in late, you pray Tahiyat al-Masjid before you sit down. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, let not one of you sit until he prays two rak'ah. Okay. Considering the fact that the Khawarij have hatred towards our Sahaba, Will they accept the proof we provide from the ahadith they narrate? That's a very good question. The reality is that the khawarij of today don't have so much of that against the sahaba. That, uh, dis you know, the declar declaring disbelief against the sahaba is something that was true of the early khawarij and not really true of the later, as much of the later khawarij. But they accept, they say they accept the, the statements of the sahaba, they accept Bukhari, they accept Muslim. That is the, that's what they claim to do. But the problem is that what they do opposes it. Can we have a program for memorizing the texts? And as much as we can do, we will do. And the problem is that it's difficult to have a program for 650 people to memorize texts. Like if you want to make a program among yourself for memorizing the text and get together as a group, no issues inshallah. But it's difficult to have a program for memorizing texts for a, such a large number of people. Okay, do we have some questions from the brothers? Salam Talam. Ibn Az, the issue of Ibn Zubair is a long one. Um, it's maybe longer than we have time to explain. But effectively, what the companions as a whole saw is that there was a transition from Khilafah into kingship. I.e. It, it went from a stage where there was proper Islamic ruling into a stage of kingship. And that created a lot of uh, disagreement and confusion among what, among what should be done. And there's no doubt that Abdullah ibn Zubair was more deserving of ruling than Yazid. There is nobody doubts this at all, that Abdullah ibn Zubair was more deserving of being of rulership than Yazid. And there were a lot of events that had happened, fights that had happened and things that had happened, which caused him to refuse to pledge allegiance to Yazid. He didn't rebel against Yazid in the sense that he didn't, uh, he didn't uh, pledge allegiance and then remove it. He never pledged allegiance to him. 
in the first place. And he never, he never agreed to Yazid in the first place. And again, the, there was a long, a long, long history. I have a video, I have a series of videos on it. But it, it takes a long time to explain. I think I did some on Peace TV. And we explained the whole history of what happened from the time of Ali ibn Abi Talib, Uthman ibn Affan, Ali ibn Abi Talib, and then onwards, and what happened with Ibn al-Zubayr and Ibn al-Ash'ath, and onwards. But effectively, what they saw is they saw that there, were a, there was a great deal of munkar, there was a great deal of evil taking place in the way that things were being handled. And so that caused them to, uh, to deal with it in different ways. But the, the scholars and the noble people among the companions were in agreement of not following Ibn al-Zubayr in his refusal to pledge allegiance. Okay. Uh, if in any case, some of you, just on the exam issue, if some of you do have a, a problem sometimes with Safari, you can try also Chrome and, and uh, Firefox. I have not had a problem with Safari on my iPhone or on my iPad. Both of them worked fine. But some people reported some problems this morning. So if they do have a problem, they can try using either Chrome or Firefox. I will just deal with you. No, we don't. it's not the issue of Husn al-Dhan. Husn al-Dhan is a good point. So the brother said, what about the issue of having Husn al-Dhan of a Muslim, like thinking good of a Muslim? If you're thinking good of a Muslim, you shouldn't think he is a, a fasiq. The argument to that is two. First of all, there is a possibility that he is a fasiq. And as long as there is a possibility, you shouldn't take news from an anonymous person. But the stronger argument is the second one. And the second argument is the argument... Uh, that the harm is present in both. The harm is present in the, even if the person is a good person, husnadan or whatever you have, but still the, the harm is present in both of them. The harm is present in the ignorant person, and the harm is present in, in the anonymous person, and the harm is present in the fasiq. And the harm is harming a people out of ignorance without realizing. And that, that is present in both of them. Uh, and this one, uh, in countries of democracy, uh, people organize rallies to topple due to financial corruptions. Is it allowed? This is not allowed. And then we've established this very clearly. Yani that these issues of rallies and protests and rebellions, none of this is allowed. And none of the scholars of Islam held this to be allowed. Because it doesn't ask them bring about any good. It doesn't bring about any good. Uh, financial corruption is a sin. And you can read about financial corruption in the book. Financial corruption is a sin. The Prophet ﷺ said, even if the ruler behaves selfishly towards you. Yani financial corruption. The meaning of selfishly is financial corruption. And financial corruption is not a reason to rebel against somebody in authority. This is, a very, this is an argument I wanted to deal with, but we ran out of time, actually. And it's a good one. Uh, it's, a good, it's a one you should read in the book. 
which is the issue of when you make interest a law, are you not declaring interest to be halal? Any yani meaning that we agree riba is a sin. However, when you legalize riba, are you not making it to be halal? And I would recommend you read it from the book because the, we don't have time to go into it now. It would take 20 minutes, 30 minutes or whatever. But in the book is a very, very nice explanation of when do you consider that a person thinks something halal or not? And when do you declare, when do you consider that it is istihlal? We call it in, in, in Arabic istihlal, declaring something to be halal. And that is that you have to have a clear statement of istihlal. Legalizing it does not equi equate to istihlal. Legalizing something in law could be done out of a desire for the dunya. It could be done out of pressure from foreign influence. It could be done for many reasons. However, the only time you can consider something to be istihlal in Islam is when someone says, I believe that it is halal in Islam. Okay? And even if someone said, I believe it is halal in Islam, even then, you would have to ask them, why do you believe it's halal? If they say, because I believe that in our time, the riba is not the same as the riba at the time of the Prophet then in this case, this person has a misconception and that misconception is not considered to be applicable to them. So read the issue of istihlal in the book because it's important. I was going to come to it, but we, we ran out of time. And I have only another five minutes because the masjid are on my case about finishing early. And the Jabariya. Mm. Okay, so this is regarding a confusion with relation, in relation to Qadr and in relation to our actions. First of all, I would say definitely if you can watch the YouTube video that I have on Qadr, it would be better because I explain it in more detail there. But first of all, the Qadriya and the Jabariya. The Qadriya, they are the people who said there is no Qadr. And everything happens at random. The Jabariya said everything is forced. Now... The problem is that some people in the middle side with one or the other. They're still in the middle, but they side with one or the other. So they say, or oh, the qadr of your actions is not written down until you do them, or the qadr of your intentions are written down when you intend them, or something like that. And this is not true. Every single action that you will do in your life is written in the Lawh al-Mahfuz. It was written 50,000 years before Allah created the heavens and the earth. Everything you do, every word you say, every movement you make, every speech, every sound, every atom that moves, every electron that moves around an atom was written in the Lawh al-Mahfuz. And there's not a single thing missing from that until what will happen on the Day of Judgment, until the Day of Judgment. Every single thing is written in the Lawh al-Mahfuz. However, your actions belong to you. They're not Allah's actions. When I speak, it's not Allah speaking, it's me speaking. However, I am speaking by the permission of Allah and by His will and His decree. So what I say is the will of Allah and the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's my choice, but my choice remains within, the, within what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, allows me to do. 
And so I make a choice that I'm going to come here today. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows me, permits me to make that choice. And the choice that I made and the decision that I make is written in the Lohan Mahfuz before Allah Azza wa Jal created the heavens and the earth. This is what Ahlul Sunnah said. Now this may still leave some confusion for some people. Uh, first of all, I would say if it does, go back to the lecture uh, and watch the, the full lecture on Qadr in detail because I went into a lot more detail there. And also sometimes Qadr is not an easy issue to understand. If you don't understand it, don't feel scared just to say, I believe in what Allah said and I don't understand any further. I believe my actions are my actions. I believe Allah wrote everything before he created the heavens and the earth. And you know, more than that, I cannot understand. There is no harm in you, in you saying that I don't understand more than that. Those of you who do understand more than that, Alhamdulillah. Those of you who don't, it's sufficient for you to say that I believe that everything happens by Allah's knowledge and his writing and his will and his creation. That's sufficient for you to, uh, for you to say, inshallah. So this, those issues hopefully will be clarified. <coughs> The name? The Khawarij. It was definitely used among the companions, but I can't rem I don't recall a hadith which mentions the name Khawarij, but it mentions the group. The group is mentioned in many, many ahadith of the Prophet There are tens of ahadith about them uh, by the Prophet But mentioning them by that name, uh, I don't remember. I know among the Sahaba, yes, and I know also, um, they were also known by other names. They were known by the name Al-Haruriya. This is the name Aisha used for them, Al-Haruriya, because they gathered in a place... Uh, a place of that name, Harura. They, in this particular place, Harura, that they, they were known for gathering in that place. So Aisha called them the Haruriya. But they have other names. But I don't remember from the top of my head that the Prophet ﷺ used the word Khawarij uh, for them, but I, there may be. It doesn't, from the top of my head, I can't remember one. I'm Salam Generally, it's not a good idea to argue with people. Um, especially, you know, one of the things I would discourage you from doing is that, you, you know, you attend a lesson for like, for example, half an hour or an hour or two hours. And then, you, you know, you start like sort of like getting too involved in the issue and, and you know, too much starts arguments going back and forward on WhatsApp. You have to understand that what you can learn in two hours is limited also compared to you know, the application of it in the real world. However, it's necessary to challenge haram behavior. So for example, if you're on a WhatsApp group and somebody says something which is haram and you have the knowledge to be able to respond to that and say, you shouldn't say that, that's not allowed, then you should do that. You should, you should challenge it and you should respond to it. But you shouldn't probably go picking issues with people, especially in the beginning. Because one of the things that often happens is I give a class like this one on any topic, like this one, for example, or, and people go and then they start to try to like pick arguments and then they come back and ask me to finish off the argument for them. And they come back and say, oh, I got stuck, you know, he says this, he says that, and now I don't know what to say. 
And essentially, the basic principle we have is we don't get involved in these debates with people. This is about protecting ourselves and protecting our children from this ideology. So yes, we challenge it. If somebody says, if somebody comes and says that so-and-so is kafir, or so, look at these kuffar, what they're doing to, to, the, to the Muslims that they have command over, then we, we challenge this. And we say to them, Ya Akhi, fear Allah Azza wa Jal. This is not permissible for you to say, fear Allah. This is not required. And then give them the book to read, or give them some material to read, or send them to someone of knowledge. But try not to let this back and forth go. I will give you a dalil. Okay, this is my dalil. Allah Azza wa Jal said. Then he says, okay, Allah Azza wa Jal said, Whoever doesn't rule by what Allah reveals, they are the kuffar. Then this person said, then it comes back and forward and nobody benefits from it. You leave with more doubts and they do not, they do not turn away from their misguidance. But do challenge something, especially from among your kids and your close family members. Because this is what they are getting on YouTube, they are getting on Facebook, on whatever, you know, these social media. They are getting these like statements of takfir. Challenge it. And if you think that you need help to challenge it, come to someone who can help you to challenge it. And you bring to somebody who can respond in a proper, in a better way to what they, you know, to what they, these ideas that these people have. And you ultimately have to judge the severity of the situation. If somebody says to you that, you know, like tomorrow I'm going on a plane to XYZ country, you have to get the authorities involved. You cannot like wait and say, okay, I will have a debate with you. Let's see about this ayah. You, you have no choice but to physically have them stopped for the, self, for the sake of themselves and the sake of the Muslims that they're going to harm. But ultimately, you have to judge. If, a, if your, your kid just started watching some videos on YouTube, like some, you know, like so-called whatever martyrdom, whatever videos on YouTube, then ultimately you don't have to like, you know, ship them to the nearest jail. You know, you can get the issue dealt with slowly and carefully bring them to somebody who can talk to them about it and explain to them because early intervention is important if you get early intervention you can get rid of these issues before they become big but if you let them to get too deep it can be it can be serious This is interesting, this issue, and it's a, it's a bit of a big issue, actually. Uh, maybe one to respond to later in some detail. But there are three terms you hear used for countries. Darul Islam or Darul Iman. Darul Kufr and Darul Harb. These are three terms that you hear being used. Uh, Darul Islam being a country where the Muslims are in the majority or a country where the Muslims are there is, there is yani it's, the definition is a little bit a little bit shaky yani. but any country which is a, considered to be a Muslim country is from Darul Islam and it's not the case that they have to implement the Sharia 100% or they have to have you know they have to be uh, like implementing all of the rules of Islam or something like that the fact that they are a country where the Muslims are in are, are in control any or other majority, then this is Darul Islam. As for Darul Kufr, Darul Kufr is a country, the country of the non-Muslims. And sometimes you hear the term Darul Harb, which is a country which is fighting against 
the Muslims. Yani they're actively fighting against the Muslims. But this is a very, very complicated issue because later on you're going to get into the issue of is there a difference between Dar al-Kufr and Dar al-Harb? And if there is, is the fact that some non-Muslim countries are fighting some Muslim countries mean that they are fighting all Muslim countries or not? And these are also issues that you have to deal with and these are more complicated than we have time to deal with today. But generally, Dar al-Islam is a country where the Muslims are in the majority and, in, in, and it is a Muslim country. And it isn't a case that they have to rule by all of the rulings of Islam to be a Muslim country. I have to finish there because the masjid, strictly we told them quarter past uh, nine, inshallah. And inshallah, we will, we will talk more on the way out. but you should read again.